All right, let's open up the Word. We are going to be in Psalm 77. So, we don't have a screen out here, so you're going to need to actually open either your Bible or use the sheet that's in the worship folder to follow along as we read. We're going to be reading the entire chapter of Psalm 77. But before we do, let's go to the, to the Lord one more time. Father, we thank you for this time that we dedicate to you as we look at your word. We thank you for your word and for the way that you use the Holy Spirit to speak to us through the word. Father, I pray that you will open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say to us today. Exactly what we need to hear where we're at. Father, I pray that you will take my feeble words and fill them with the power of your spirit because without you, they are nothing to be there. Work through this time. May your will be done, we pray. In your holy name, amen. We've hit that moment in the morning right as the sun's about to break through the tree. So if I can't see you, I'm just going to be preaching, and I hope it doesn't look awkward. <laughs> All right. So today we're going to be in Psalm 77. If you have your Bible, let's start at verse 1. I cry out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out my unti out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated, and my spirit asked, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he, will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember his miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is, what God is as great as our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With a mighty arm, you redeem your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and withered. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed forth for, for, back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters, though your footsteps were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. The word of the Lord. All right. So, Psalms. The book of Psalms is uh, has was mostly written by King David. Uh, that is, uh, the King David. The big David. The one that everybody uh, in Israel knew about and compared every other king to. Right? He was the most famous. Right? All of the Psalms were written throughout his life. He wrote Psalms of praise. He wrote Psalms of 
of mourning and lamenting. He met, he met, uh, read, wrote psalms of, of longing and, and uh, petition to the Lord. And this is one of those psalms that would fit into that category. One of the ones where he is in trouble. Things are not going well. And he's asking God a petition for help. Most psalms had some kind of a pattern in, in them, in the way that they were written. Uh, when, when you have a psalm of petition, the way that it is normally laid out is that David would speak about the trouble, whatever was happening, whatever his problem was. Then he would cry out to the Lord and he would ask the Lord to intercede. And normally it was to come in and just destroy whoever it was that was the problem. Uh, it, it just kind of the way that he prayed most of the time. Uh, and, and then he would praise the Lord for hopefully answering his answering his prayer. He would praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord prior to the answer to the prayer. We have an alarm going off. All right. I think that it's important to understand the life of David a bit. Many of us have grown up in the church. And if you haven't, let me give you a little recap. David was the son of Jesse. He was the youngest son of Jesse. Jesse had multiple sons. He was anointed by Samuel when he was a young, at a young boy. He was a shepherd. That meant he stayed out in the, with the flocks most of the time. Shepherds are important because they, they have to protect the sheep. If you have never been around a flock of sheep, you probably don't have any firsthand experience with how sheep are not very smart animals. They need protection. They need protection from themselves a lot of times because they like to wander. And once they start wandering, they follow the group as they all wander. So that's why the shepherd's there. The shepherd is there to shepherd them to safe pastures. Psalms 23 is all about how Christ and God is the good shepherd. He shepherds his people, us. So David knows a lot about shepherding. He knows a lot about spending time by himself out in the, out in the fields with the sheep. He gave him time to think, to meditate, to pray. He would sing songs to the Lord. He had to protect the sheep from many different predators. He would, he's killed a bear. He killed a lion. We know that from the story of David. Could you imagine that? Imagine a your teenage boy being out in a field and his job was to kill a lion that was going to kill your sheep. That's crazy. I wouldn't let Keegan be out there. Like to think that he, and, and all he had was a slingshot at the time. There weren't guns. I wouldn't let Keegan be out there defending sheep like that. Think back onto your kids. Would you do that? But he didn't just defeat a lion. He defeated a bear. And I imagine that he did it more than once. And David recognized at a very young age that it wasn't by his own strength. It wasn't by his own skill that he was successful at those things. He knew it was because of God. He knew God was protecting him. He knew God was providing for him. And so he would thank God during those times. 
After he was anointed by Samuel to be the new king, we see the story of David and Goliath. That's a pretty well-known story. The Philistines were at war with the Israelites, and they weren't in constant battles. The way that what had happened was they were a stalemate. The Philistines had this really awesome champion. His name was Goliath. He really wasn't that awesome of a guy, but he was a giant, so nobody could defeat him. And so the way that they were waging war is that they were camped across a valley from each other, and the Philistine champion Dave, or Goliath would come out and he would yell at the Israelites, he'd yell obscenities and make fun of them and tell them that their God is weak and, and insignificant, and then he would challenge them to send out their champion to do one-on-one -on -one battle. And whoever won, that would be the victor of the war. This is a very common practice, actually, during the early, during the ancient days, to have a champion who represented the people fight another champion to represent the people. It, it saved off lots of bloodshed. But if you didn't have a great champion, that wasn't the best way to do war because you wouldn't win. <laughs> and Israel at the time did not have a great champion. Saul was supposed to be their champion, their king. And he was afraid. He wasn't willing to go into battle. And so days and days and days of this taunting and hearing Goliath yell at them. And David shows up on the scene and he's there to deliver food to his brothers who are in the army. And he he hears Goliath taunting not only the, the army of Israel but the God of Israel. And David knows the God of Israel because the God of Israel is the one who has protected him time and time again from these big, ferocious things that should have overpowered him. And he's very concerned that the army are not rising up in defense of God. And he, he volunteers to be the champion. I want to remind you that at this point, David is a teenager. He's young. Saul... I, I'm kind of surprised Saul allowed him to do it, but Saul is willing to do it, but he's going to outfit him. He puts him in, in his own armor, the best armor. But the problem is that Saul is probably the tallest guy in Israel at the time. He's a huge man. And David is a teenage boy. So the armor does not fit him at all. And it makes it to where he can't really move around. So he rejects the armor and he says, I'll take care of it. My God will take care of it. He has protected me from the lions. He has protected me from the bears. He will protect me from the lion. David is facing an overmounting problem in front of him. And how does he know that he will be successful? He recalls, he remembers how God has already helped him overcome things. Most of us know the story. He goes out and he collects five stones for his sling. That's all. He doesn't take out a sword, doesn't take out a shield. He goes out into the into the valley to meet Goliath. Goliath basically thinks he's a joke and makes fun of him. And David takes a sling out, or his sling out and a stone. He whirls that thing around. And if you've never seen or tried to throw a sling, it is actually really hard. But the people who use it can be deadly accurate with them. 
as David proves. He gets that sling going. He lets that thing go. It hits Goliath square in the forehead and makes him drop. Drops. David then takes Goliath's own sword and chops his head off, winning the war for Israel. David later becomes king. But before he becomes king, he has a real problem with his in-laws. He marries the daughter of King Saul as this sort of award for being like this champion. He marries the, the king's daughter. He thinks his life is in a great spot. He went from being a shepherd to now being the, the uh, son-in-law to the king. He becomes best friends with the son's, uh, the son's son, Jonathan. And so he's in a whole new circle of people. Life should be doing well for him. But the problem is, is that Saul knows that God has anointed David to be the next king. And he's jealous. He's jealous of the popularity that David has, uh, has, has acquired from his successes on the battlefield. And he plots to kill him. And he has to go off and go and hide. And he's in hiding for a long time. He has a, a, men, a group of really loyal men who he's been in battles with, who stay with him, they protect him. But outside of that, the rest of the army is after him to kill him under the order of their king. He's running for his life daily. But during that time, he still has the ability to praise God, to thank God. A lot of his, a lot of his Psalms of petition and lamenting are during this time of strife where he does not understand what is happening. And I believe this is one of the times when he's praying here. So he's being hunted. He could be hiding in a cave. That was a pretty common place for them to hide. They left the country at least once, if not a couple times. So they were discovered in that country, and then they'd have to flee again. He's a fugitive on the land. And he's wanting to know where God's favor has gone. He's wanting to know, has God left him forever? God has protected him so many different times. He's anointed to be the next king. Has God's favor left him forever? Where is God's mercy? Where is God's protection? He is in a down, down place of depression and sorrow and not knowing if there's any hope in the future. The thing about this psalm is that it follows a pattern of the of the, rep, of the uh, petition psalms. There's a difference in this one because David doesn't actually ask God to really do anything. He wants God's help, but he doesn't give specifics about he, how he wants God's help. If you read any of the other psalms that are psalms of petition or request, David is specific about what he's wanting. But in this psalm, he just wants to know where God has gone. 
And instead of asking for something specific or asking for God to lift his soul, what he does is he stops and he says, but I remember. I meditate on your miracles. I meditate on what you have already done before. David has many moments in his own life he could meditate on where God has done his protection, where God has blessed him in a profound way, where God has really given him a miracle. But I don't think it stops there. I think David is reminiscing on the history of God and the people of Israel. The miracles at which God has worked through the people. He hones in on the Exodus. He talks about the waters and how they're churning and how it is through God's power that the waters are moved. It is through God's power that the people of Israel are led through the sea like Moses with Moses and Aaron. David says that you were the ones who moved the waters, yet we saw we did not see your footprints. Meaning that God is the one who walked before them. God is the one who brought them through. So David is sitting in this place of sadness, this place of loneliness, feeling like God has abandoned him. Feeling like there possibly isn't hope. And his course of action is to sit, is to sit and to meditate on what God has done in the past. It says that it is through this meditation, it is through this remembering that God or that David's heart is lifted. That David is able to move forward. That David knows that there is a future. That, that David knows that God will not abandon them. He will continue to walk with them. He will continue to be the one true God. Many of us have gone through hard things in our lives. We've had to face loneliness, depression, a darkness that feels like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. I know in my own life, I think back to the times of the, the early times after our son Keegan's diagnosis where it, it just it seemed like there was no hope my son was diagnosed with a very rare form of epilepsy that in all honesty should have ended his life he should have never developed he should have been a vegetable and to hear that about your 10 week old son is devastating and many of you have your own stories of and not just medical situations many situations where 
situation itself seems to swallow up any hope you might have had. It seems to swallow up any of the light that might be out there. And I know for myself, there were moments where I said, has God abandoned us? You have those doubts. You have those worries, those, those, those concerns. And then you remember what God has done in the past. You hear stories of people who God has healed miraculously. You hear stories of how God has used doctors to bring medical miracles about. You hear stories where people in destitute are redeemed. You hear stories of, of people who who come out of the most horrible backgrounds are transformed by the love and forgiveness of God to become God's greatest mouthpieces, speaking about his redemption, speaking about his truth, his grace, his forgiveness. Remembering is so, so important. There is a tradition that the church has held for a very long time. And it's a tradition that is not practiced as often anymore. It's the tradition of testimony. It's, it's, for those of you who might not know what testimony is, it's, it's where someone will stand up and they'll speak about something that God has done for them in their lives. They'll talk about how God has done something in their past or what God is doing currently in their lives testifying to the goodness of God, to God's power, to God's miracle working, to the way God is the way maker. And we don't do it as often as we used to. We're not going to do it necessarily this morning because we, we still are going to do communion. But it's one of those things that I think are important that we should be doing with each other on a regular basis. I think that when you hear somebody's going through something, that you believe your testimony or a testimony of something you've endured can help them, then you should share it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be within a service setting. It could be over the phone, over a cup of coffee. That's the significance of living in a community like this, where we are, we are there to lift each other up. We are there to help those who are in the darkness to remember that they don't walk alone. And it's not just us that walks with them, but it is God himself. One of my favorite poems is, the, is that poem of the footprints. And many people have, have it hung up in a bathroom somewhere in their house. Uh, I know that every home that I've been in since I was a little kid, I seem to find it somewhere. It's a very common poem in the Christian world. But basically, the poem is this. Is that the man is in a relationship with God, and he's walking along the beach, and he sees that, that there are two sets of footprints. His footprints and God's footprints. And when, when he's having, when life is good and things are going well, he knows God is with him, and he can see the goodness that God is bringing in his life. 
But every time life brings him a challenge or he's going through a hardship, there's only one set of footprints. And just like David in this psalm, he laments to God saying, God, why is it every time I go through a hardship, it seems that you're the one who leaves me? Because there's only one set of footprints. And God says, you don't understand. Every time you're going through something like that, there's only one set of footprints, but it's my set, and I'm the one carrying you through it. So no matter what you're facing, no matter what someone is going through, maybe that you're in a relationship with, you can remind them, help them to see how God is still carrying them through those things by reminding them of what God has already done in their lives, reminding them what God has done in your life, reminding them of what God has done throughout the Bible. And it, it's so important as a church to constantly remember the greatest thing God has done for us, which is to send His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to live a life alongside you and I, to later be crucified on the cross, taking upon Himself every single sin that has ever, ever occurred or will ever occur, and letting that sin be crucified and killed. And then later, three days later, resurrecting from the dead to conquer death. And to remember that that is a gift that was done for you and I. And that through our faith in Jesus Christ, we are set free from the sin that wants to hold us. And the church has a practice that, that is my favorite practice in a church. And it's the, the practice of communion. If you have your communion cup, um, please get that ready because we're going to take communion in just a moment. If you do not have a communion cup, please raise your hand and we will make sure you get a communion cup before you come in. We've got a few over there, Chris and Roy, some right there. Communion is a sacrament. It's sacred. One of those moments where God bestows upon us an extra amount of grace. It's one of those moments where we truly remember the greatest thing that has been done for us. So on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he was in the upper room with his disciples. And they were having the Passover meal. And while they were having the Passover meal, he took the bread. And then you little cup here, and those people online, go grab a piece of bread or a cookie or something. But if you're here, you'll take that top little layer of the cup and open the plastic part. And you just pull out the little bread wafer. And so Jesus took that bread and he broke it you want you can break your bread and he says this this bread represents my body which will be broken for you and, and every time that you take this bread I want you to remember what I have done for you 
And so we take the bread and we remember. You may eat your bread. Okay, this next bit, you gotta be a little careful. You don't wanna spill your juice. You open up your cup. Those of you at home, grab something to drink. Then as the meal continued, Jesus took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, this cup represents my blood, which will be poured out for you. It is the sign of the new covenant, meaning the covenant of old was gone. And this new covenant, this covenant that is is sealed by your faith in him. This is the sign of that new covenant, which gives us forgiveness of sins and freedom. And he said, every time you take this cup, do it in remembrance of what I have done for you. So take your cup and you may drink. other God has done for each of us so that no matter where we're at no matter what we're facing we know God is already there and he's carrying us through it will you pray with me father we thank you We thank you for your grace. We thank you for Memorial Day, where we can remember. We don't just remember those who have served us in our country and in our military, but we, we remember what you have done serving us by dying on the cross, by forgiving us of our sins, by re- coming back to life, conquering death, and offering that to us as well. We praise you. We thank you. Because without that, we are lost. We are broken. We thank you that you are constantly working, transforming us, making us more and more like you. Lord, we want your will in our lives. We want your will in our church. We want your will in our community. Lord, we ask that you will help us to be more and more an active participant in that will. We trust you. We love you. We thank you for today. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Now, if you would stand and receive this benediction.